0: Started with Tobin Heath and and every other level and every other kid and every girl that played in the program have an enormous amount of competitiveness. They never want to lose a game, but they never wavered in their commitment to their teammates and their love of the teammates.
1: That was Larry Hart, longtime PDA girls coach, talking about the power of competitiveness and the importance of playing for your teammates. And I'm Julianne Dietz, and I want to welcome you to the She Dreams and Goals podcast, where soccer dreams come alive and goals are just the beginning. This podcast is all about empowering girls to use their passion for soccer as fuel for on-field success and a lifetime of wellness. In each episode, we'll talk to stars from the NWSL, health experts, and performance coaches to unlock their secrets to success and discover what it takes to be the healthiest soccer players and people we can be. Larry is the Assistant Director of Coaching at PDA and one of the original elite soccer clubs in the U.S. and an East Coast and national powerhouse. Larry grew up in the town of Kearney, New Jersey, also known as Soccer Town, USA, and has been playing soccer since he was five years old. After playing at Keene University, Larry joined the newly formed PDA in 1999 as a coach and has been fortunate to work with all age groups from U-8 to U-18. He's been incredibly grateful to work with players like Tobin Heath, Heather O'Reilly, and most recently Casey Fair, to name a few. Larry shares with us his journey with PDA, a pioneering soccer club that not only provides a year-round soccer training program that develops players to their greatest potential, focusing on top quality instruction and exposure to the highest levels of competition, but is also set on a foundation that their club is a family. Since the inception of the club, they have been able to win at the ECNL and USYS levels of competition including an impressive four ECNL titles in 2019. As a longtime teacher, school counselor, and coach, Larry believes deeply that you cannot develop the player without developing the person. I learned so much from this episode, from what it was like to grow up in the legendary Kearney, New Jersey, to what makes some clubs and players exceptional. Elizabeth and I felt so lucky to have had a chance to learn from Larry's decades-long experience developing players, and this episode has something for everyone. Players, coaches, parents, really anyone who loves soccer or loves someone
2: who loves soccer. But don't take my word for it. Elizabeth, what did you think? I think that his idea that your teammates are like your family and that you always want to compete for your family is so important.
1: Alright, so whether you still pack a soccer bag full of shin guards and a ball, or the weekly carpool full of fierce young female soccer players, I hope you'll join us each week to explore how we can achieve our dreams both on and off the field. Elizabeth, kick us off!
2: Welcome to the She Dreams and Goals podcast.
1: Um, thanks so much for doing this. I know it's hard on a Sunday night after, you know, having a full weekend of soccer. So we appreciate it.
0: No, no problem. The first two dates that you threw out were two other soccer nights where I train. I'm like, "Eh," uh, Sunday I was, and I, I was supposed to have, I got a, two of our games this morning got canceled. I was
1: on the heat or
0: the rain. And I pushed Mm -hmm. my games to grass. We have, um, some grass and a few turf fields at the PDA. So they were looking so great, the grass fields. I said, that's it, pushing the grass. And then the other turf fields got booked up. And then we held out, we held out, we held out. And of course, this morning, another two inches of rain fell. Yeah. So the fields, fields crew told me no go. So I was like, uh, that's,
1: that's yeah, brutal. I
0: know. Now you have to
1: reschedule them. And um, exactly. now you guys are in, uh, are you in, where are you in Jersey?
0: We're um, in this little town called Zarephath, which is right near Rutgers. It's okay, a- yeah. Exit twelve off of Route two eighty seven. If you remember the two eighty seven loop at all, by Rutgers. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, what grade? What grade are you in?
2: I'm in sixth grade.
0: Oh, that's like my favorite grade. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's pretty fun.
0: I used to be a sixth grade teacher, actually.
2: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, I used to be a sixth grade teacher, and I used to be a I used to be a guidance counselor too.
1: All right, so should we get started, Elizabeth? Go ahead with our first question.
2: So we always like to ask at the start, where did it all begin for you with soccer?
0: Well, I guess for me, it all began when I I grew up in a town called Kearney, New Jersey. And um, in Kearney, it actually has the nickname as Soccer Town USA. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before. That's a lot of pressure for a town, but (laughs) it has a long line and history of soccer players. And the history is a lot of Irish and Scottish immigrants came over and brought the game over to that area over a hundred years ago. And my grandparents on my mother's side were just exactly that Scottish immigrants. And so all the better athletes, I think growing up in our town in that time period, all gravitated towards soccer. Now that we had other sports and other good teams, but um, we, we produced a lot of good soccer players from our town that were really big in the eighties and the nineties. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of John Harkes or Tab Ramos and, Tony Miola, and there was generations even before that were really uh, impactful and responsible for developing a game in this country. Yeah, the, well, I
1: the- have. You You probably do you Have you heard me talk about Tony Miola before? Never. Oh, I have a fun <laughs> picture of me with Tony Miola when I was your age, actually. When oh. the World Cup was coming over to the U.S., my team mm-hmm. from New York had won the State Cup, and so we got to go to a big event with – uh tony miolo so i guess that was what 94 um uh-huh. i've World never cut,
2: heard you so. mention that i'm
1: gonna have to show you the picture because he was pretty epic goalkeeper
0: <laughs> he was he was i could tell you some other remind me to come back to tony miolo later and i'll tell you some more history about uh, those guys well i grew up with those guys and um to get back to your question so i grew up playing the game uh we all played together in high school um we are still really good friends And then I played in college, and then I played professionally in leagues. Yeah, so I grew up playing, and I played before the days of the MLS. And then, you know, right about when I was about 27 years old, 26, 27, a good friend of mine, Mike O'Neill, who is actually the current head coach of Rutgers Women's Soccer, and he's the director of PDA, and I'm the assistant director. He had started coaching already, and he came to watch me play when I was still trying to – see if I can make a living at doing this. And then he saw so me play. And I think I I think I think injured like seven different muscles in one game. Oh, no. And I limped off and he says, are you ready to start coaching yet? Because I was already <laughs> teaching a little bit in a private school. And I said,
1: yeah, yeah. I Take think it's so. time. <laughs> I think so.
0: <laughs> so, you know, right about that time in my life, um, I was teaching. And, uh, I transitioned to coaching and Mike O'Neill got me my first coaching job and we started coaching club soccer and it was in a place called Wyckoff. I don't know if you ever hear of Wyckoff, New Jersey and Wyckoff torpedoes.
1: Nope. I you haven't. Know? You probably haven't. Yeah. No. It's
0: like, it was in Bergen County. It was the days before PDA. So this is like 1995, 96.
1: Okay. And I probably played them, but I don't remember. Yeah.
0: Did. Yeah. 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 And so. And we kind of got into coaching because the president of the Wyckoff Soccer Club, a guy named Dan, Dan Caldwell, who's no longer with us, but he had called Kearney High School looking for trainers. And he – um the, the the soccer coach gave him Mike O'Neill's name who had just started coaching a little bit. So Mike said, come on, we got – they gave us these, these girls teams. And we're, I was like, oh, OK. You know, because I was – teaching girls, but i never really coached girls at the time. And we kind of just landed into it because we were asked to. Yep. And we ended up building something in Wyckoff for like three years that was, was very successful. And they threw us out because what happened was, is we had too many people from outside of the Wyckoff town um, and all these players were coming to play for us. And so they had thrown us out. So in 1998, a gentleman named Tom Anderson who started the Players Development Academy contacted us because he only had one team at the PDA and Tobin Heath was on that team. I'm not sure if you ever heard of Tobin Heath before, Elizabeth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That one she
1: knows. (laughs) That one she knows.
0: Yeah. So Tobin Heath, I could tell you that story, how the PDA started, but how I – got to be into coaching at the PDA and coaching was because of Mike and this phone call from Tom Anderson. And he says, I have one team and I know you guys are kind of big in New Jersey right now. Would you be interested in coming down and working the PDA? And that was 1998, but I was so tight. I had a team in Parsippany, I had a team in Wyckoff and I didn't want to just up and leave them. So I gave them a whole year's notice that said that after the first year, I'd be relocating. And plus I was living up in Northwest Jersey with my wife and my two young kids or one young kid at that time and uh, it was the PDA was very far so we actually moved I sold my house and I came down to Cranford New Jersey which is where I'm still at and it was like 25 minutes away from the Players Development Academy
1: wow that's amazing so you've really been there no (laughs) it's a good story a good history of it It's so interesting because that was definitely around the time when I was in high school. So I can kind of uh, visualize what everything was going on at the time. And yes, we were very still town-oriented clubs Mm -hmm. And I have a brother and sister who are a little bit younger than me. And I kind of saw in their careers that it was starting to like evolve and change. You weren't necessarily playing in your your hometown. And that kind of was a challenge for my hometown. We were really strong. But once, you know, clubs started changing, we were slower to evolve. And um, so it kind of changed it. But that's really cool. So you've been with PDA, PDA really from very early on
0: very early on. My daughter actually was born in 98. And that was part of the reason why I also didn't want to come in. My wife was pregnant. There were so many things going on. So I just said, I need a year to kind of get my footing, sell the house. There was a lot of things going on so I can get closer to the PDA. So I came on board in 1999.
1: Very cool. So I have two questions related to that. You've been doing soccer for a really long time Mm -hmm. and you've been with PDA for a really long time. So what Mm -hmm. do you love about both of those things?
0: Well, I tell you, I just bumped in. This is what I love most. Well, there's a lot of things I love most about coaching for a long time. Uh, one of them is I just bumped into somebody yesterday of a, his daughter I coached. And she's now married. And she lives in Colorado. She has two kids of her own. And they're playing. And um, when I just – I see that they're successful. And she's coaching her team too. Yeah. you know, she's coaching. When I just see that they kind of pass it on and then they'll DM me or they'll reach out to me if I have their cell phone – uh, and they'll say, we were doing this thing in your practice. And the next thing came out of my mouth was something that you said over yeah. and over again. And I'm like, "Huh, that's pretty cool. You know, um, and I've been doing this so long. I coach the uh, right now I coach the U13s and U14s, 2010s and 2011s. And there's a player on the 2010s that I I coached her.
1: Oh, <laughs> the wow. mom. Yeah, the yeah, mom. the mom. Wow. So it's
0: funny. And she says she hears some of the things that are similar that came out of my mouth. And I, I got a text from someone I coached because I coached high school for a little bit, like about seven years. And she's coaching her kid and the kid scored three goals. And she was so happy. And she said she was shouting something out that I said. So, you know, it's cool when they go to the schools and they have good college careers. But I think the thing that really... Uh, For me, it means the most is that I kind of pass on my love for the game uh, and, you know, and see them coach their own children like you're doing. Yeah, I think I think that's really the magical thing, because I've coached a lot. of, I've been blessed and fortunate to coach a lot of national team players, professional players and win national championships, lose national championships. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that really uh, at the end of the day that really makes it worth it is seeing uh, it being passed on. You know, and the love and the love of that little match between parent and child experiencing and growing up with the game together, because I don't know, that's what I that's what it worked for me as a person. And I kind of want to keep giving that back to other families.
1: Yeah. So far, it's been a blast, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah. And I think the really cool thing about soccer is that. I know that so many things that I've learned about life and I'm, you know, I'm thinking Elizabeth so far, you know, ha- did come from soccer and did come from people that taught me so much. and A
2: lot of people.
1: Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I, I think that when you when you think about PDA and all the players that PDA has been involved with, what makes PDA
0: special? Mm. I think a lot of it has to do with when I grew up going back to our my roots in Kearney. And Mike and Neil and I always say that uh, PDA, well, Carney, and it was called Thistle, uh, was the, called the, the football club was sort of the PDA before the PDA. And okay. I remember we had John Harks and Tab Ramos and Tony Miola and all these really strong players in just this one club. And there are so many other names that I'm not mentioning, but were known throughout the region in New Jersey and New York and even Connecticut as being some of the better youth players. And people used to drive from, all around just to play on our club teams. So we were always very accustomed to like competition Mm -hmm. and good competition and people coming in and trying to build something kind of soccer special. So I think when Mike and I, and actually the boys director of coaching is also another Carney guy, Jerry McEwen. So I think uh, it's always been about family on our teams growing up as kids, because our families went to the trips and the, you know, so we wanted to keep that family kind of a feel at the PDA um, and built something special where if we treated the kids right, and treated the families right and had success on and off the field and didn't always worry about the wins and it, we wanted to create a style of play as well, that families would come and people would come. And when we sort of had the teams established and Mike and I brought like five teams in or four or five teams in, they kind of – we were building that already we thought and and the foundation of it was just that, is that we were going to have fun doing this. We were going to have some success. We were going to do it with a certain style and flair uh, and try to make memories together.
1: That's great. So it sounds like a, it's a lot about the relationships and the families. I know New Jersey is a really family-oriented mm-hmm. uh, place, and it sounds like you have kind of taken that vibe and built it through the soccer club, and it's one of the things that the players really enjoy about the experience.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the relationships Um, Like I just said, like having people reach out to me and they keep in touch with me and they get married and they write me and they invite me and all those kinds of things is I think if you're genuine and I always go back to a Maya Angelou quote that I had hanging on my wall when I was a guidance counselor was that people will forget what you told them. People will forget what you did for them, but people are never going to forget the way you made them feel. So if you don't treat them just like a tryout number and you just don't treat them like, oh, my left back or my center back, you treat them like real people. And you try to make them feel great about themselves in the process, they're going to remember that. And those same people that you treat with respect and kindness and you try to motivate and you work hard with them are going to tell other people, hey, you want to go to that place. You want to be around these people. And it's what we've always tried to do. And so
1: you so you and I come from similar backgrounds. I'm a school counselor. And I think, you know, as things evolved and um kid you know, kids have a lot going on these days. It's been, you know, really challenging. And I have kind of my perspective on education and my perspective on, you know, athletic education and academic education has kind of evolved to to really think about the whole person or the whole player perspective. And I think as kids are spending more and more time with their clubs and their teammates and their coaches and, you know, at the facilities, it's an opportunity and maybe a little bit of a responsibility for clubs to kind of look at the whole player perspective. And I was wondering what you have, what your personal thoughts are and what kind of PDA is doing in regards to focusing on that whole player development.
0: Sure. We, one of the things we personally brought on board, I'll say five or six years ago, it was before, you know, the the remote stuff and uh, her name's Kathy Andrewsie. And she works with a number of college teams and she's uh, she's, not a, she's not a counselor. She's like a life coach. She's got a few different certifications but does deal with mental uh, wellness. And she does a lot of... She meets with our teams. Every team, she has a certain amount of hours and they do confidence building, self-esteem building, um, just working on individual goals and team goals so that they are sort of realistic and on top of things. And one of the things that I kind of have sort of worked at this like sort of like, not the business end, but just something that we do as, as a whole club to kind of try to keep tabs on making sure everyone's okay, you know, and everyone's comfortable and happy where they are in the world and, and doing some things. So when she's suspicious of something or other coaches are, have concerns about things, they, they call me in, you know what I mean? I've been counselor for 20 something years and I'm actually going for my LPC right now on the side, you know, just, whatever. And we just make sure that we're supporting the families and supporting the kids in every way we can. Because as you say, there's enormous amounts of distractions and things that come in, especially as they go through like seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade it settles down a little bit, you know, yeah. but it sort of mirrors life, you know, a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. I was a middle school counselor too, but that's, oh, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's an
1: yeah. important, such an important job and a challenging job for sure. So in regards to PDA, are there some success stories that uh, you can share with us about some players that you thought were really impressed you, not just not on the field, but also just in
0: life? Um, Well, Tobin Heath, I have to start by saying on the field for sure and off the field. She's an awful cool person. And on the field, she was really special and just being part of helping her coach and I mean coaching her. And being part of her journey uh, was awesome. Heather O'Reilly, too. I remember, remember Heather O'Reilly. You know, she's still, yeah, she's, 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 she was fun and awesome to coach. One of the most competitive human beings I've ever met in my life, by the way. We'd walk off a of training and I was tired. Everyone was tired. And she'd want to play like a 3v3 tournament just at like 8 o'clock at night. And I was like. Just,
1: We're exhausted. <laughs> yeah.
0: Got an engine that was uh, unbelievable.
1: So are there some personality characteristics in general that have stood out for you for young, young players go on to have successful careers and or just being successful people?
0: Well, you know what, I'll I'll tell you exactly what I think is that the, the common thread in all of the successful players is that, and it started with Tobin Heath and, and every other level and every other kid and every girl that played in the program have an enormous amount of competitiveness. They never want to lose a game but they never wavered in their commitment to their teammates and their love of the teammates. And I, the example is so many people and we've had a lot of very talented kids come through the program, national to national team players, national pool players at youth levels. Right. And a lot of things, sometimes the federation, which they may not be so uh, warm and nurturing from a perspective, you know, they're a little bit more cutthroat when it comes to the, development of of the of the girls when they're younger um they'll say oh you need to play with the boys you need to play up you need to challenge it's not and all the most talented kids looked at them and said i i want to play with my team my teammates my teammates are really important to me and i think that's where sometimes in this country we get it wrong especially with female athletes i think sometimes from a boy perspective sometimes there's a little lack of um cohesion and boys Mm -hmm. will like take care of themselves first. And I've coached both enough to know that I really enjoyed coaching girl soccer players. And uh, so when, when, when Tobin Heath, who could have played up three years at the highest levels, she never played up a game. She, she practiced up a little bit and she practiced with the boys once in a while to give her some challenges in training, but she never once wanted to play on one of our older PDA teams. Never did. And, every success story, every PDA success story started with a kid who was supremely devoted to her team because her team represented her family. It wasn't just a business. It wasn't just about them as an individual. We knew that they might be individually gifted and talented, but they put their team first. They put their team because it mirrored what they thought was their family And they love those. They loved each other. And if you create a real genuine caring and loving environment, you are going to get the most out of every female athlete, in my opinion.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's much easier to compete as well. When you're exhausted, when you're tired, when you're losing, if you're competing for your family, right? Mm -hmm. I think that um, that can really motivate you even more. You would
0: do anything, right? Yeah, you care about them. As a parent, you would do anything for your family. So if you create that family vibe if you will as as a team what wouldn't you do for your family
1: i love that that's great so i know elizabeth's going to have some questions but i have two questions before i open the floor to her um so first what um how can parents and guardians support kind of their young soccer players aspirations while kind of ensuring healthy balance between soccer and the other aspects of their lives
0: well, I'll, I'll take a quote from my daughter, Maddie, who you just sold, played and she played Division One. She played at Loyola, Maryland, and she was a very, very good player. Sometimes when I picked her up after games or not picked her up, I drove home, you know, after a game, not practices, practices, we would talk, but I would say, ah, tough game. And she was like, dad, not to, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But if my mother picked her up, if grandma picked her up and she was the one taking her home from, from a game, whether it was a high school or was a college game. She didn't talk about the game, my grandma. Grandma wants to talk about, do you want to get some food? Do you want to get some ice cream? And no matter what the performance was, my mother would say, you were the best on the field. You guys were terrific. You want to get ice cream? There was never any judgment or feeling judged. It was just warmth, compassion, positive cheerleading, and support, and love. So I I talk to parents a lot and try to get them to buy into that same thing, like pretend you're a grandparent. And don't judge your kid's performance, support them unconditionally, despite the best game of their lives or the worst game of their lives. And sometimes you're going to watch the parent go, oh boy. And then sometimes you're going to say, oh boy. And it's what a game this is, but always have the same warm, supportive, non-judgmental view of your, of your child. I've met a lot of parents that were way over the top and tried to have some reasonable conversations with them to talk them down and say, let them be a kid, let them, find their journey. I I could tell your kid is afraid to go to the car for this car ride home and dreading it. Don't (laughs) make them dread it. No, no, no. They, they, those same kids burn out or they get to a collegiate level and they stop playing and they, and they, and I see it again and again. And I, and I just, uh, I mean, I get it. Sometimes every parent, I think in their head wants to be like, when they're seeing the kid have an off game, want to say something, and sometimes even as a parent, you know, uh, I'm far, I'm far from a perfect parent and I don't think there is a perfect parent out there, but it was a U13 or a U14 game and my daughter was playing and I used to go down by the corner flag because as a, as a soccer coach, a lot of the parents used to ask me questions during the game and it used to drive me crazy. I just really wanted to watch the kids play. And I think it was a regional final before the days of the ECNL, right when the ECNL was starting. Yeah. And it was an intense game. It was intense. It was really hot. It was humid. And I remember Maddie was having trouble breathing a little bit. It was really humid. And I got sucked into the parent hoopla a little bit. And I was trying to push her to work. I was like, you got to do this. You can work harder. You got to defend harder. And she turned and she looked at me and she was like, no more. And I, in that moment, I was like, wow, I became that parent. And I've just now affected her and her game. And I wanted to hide under like the corner flag. And I just walked down like a, embarrassed person and stood by the corner flag and watched the rest of the game but I said to myself at that point on I am not going to judge her in the midst of her performance because I saw how negatively I was impacting in that game
1: Yeah, it's really hard not to compete for them. And I think that's like a challenge parents we can all take um, for ourselves in to try to, you know, allow them to compete at the level that they feel like they can compete on that day. And if they ask for help or they ask for guidance along the way, let them ask. Um, But try to keep it in, try to keep it in as much as you possibly can. It's challenging. (laughs) I know it's challenging. Uh, We have talked about it with Elizabeth, how it's hard for us sometimes, but we're, you know, doing the best that we can.
0: Yeah, I know. That's all that's all we can always ask of each other, right?
1: We're yeah. just doing
0: the best we can. <laughs> and, and as a coach, always up front, make sure that they know you are far from perfect as a coach. Sometimes we make mistakes and absolutely. And and also what I've also learned the more I've coached is to work together with the players and say, This is what I'm thinking about trying. What do you guys think? And it's really interesting to hear what they think, why why it will or won't work. I mean, some I have an idea of my style. But sometimes in position, there has to be buy-in and I want them to know that they are part of the process. And if we just hand down the system and hand down how everything and what you're then, – then they don't feel part of the process. It's almost like telling – like going back to the family analogy. It's like just telling someone to do your chores again and again and again without really having them kind of buy into the process of why am I doing these chores, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, chores, right? Sometimes you buy in. Sometimes you don't. Can you always <laughs> make me do your chores. I make her do my my chores according to her. Um perspective is interesting, right? With parents and kids.
2: So do you have any questions that you can think of? Yes, I had to. I don't remember if I don't know if I remember the second one. Okay. But my first question is what was the first team you played on or the first team that you remember?
0: The first team I, oh. I actually remember—it's a terrible name—the Uh the name of the team before my club team was this team that I what was this rec team called? The Adams, A T O M S. And I still have the shirt. I have the yeah, shirt. Oh, that's cool. I still have it. My mother held on to it. And then I still remember the first phone call I made for travel soccer. I was eight years old, and it was named. His name is Bobby Craig. He was a Scottish guy. And he called, and I, I answered the phone, and he's had a Scottish accent. He said, "Oh, look into it to Larry Hart. Mm-hmm. And I said, You know, this is Larry. He goes, Congratulations, Larry. You've just made the Thessal U8 team. But, it's, you know, it's going to be a great team. And bup, 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 bup. And I said, Okay, great. I'm on it. I hung up the phone. <laughs> My mother said, Who was who that? I go, Some guy, some Scottish guy says I made some team. She was like, Did, did you get his number? Or anything? I go, No. <laughs> <laughs> so I hung up the phone and then five minutes later, he called back and my mother got all the details, but I just hung up the phone and walked away. I said, great. You know, I just
1: <laughs> send my contract send my yeah,
0: contract I, over. <laughs> a car or something, you know, <laughs> but yes, I've been playing travel soccer since you ate.
2: That's cool. Okay. Um, my second question is what's your favorite thing about soccer?
0: Mm, there's just so many favorite things. Mm. What is my favorite thing? My favorite thing. Ah, I, I thought I had a favorite thing and I'm like, is that my favorite thing? I'll just say something I really, really, really love about soccer. I love teaching this game so that when I see something we've actually been working on in practice happens and the kids feel that success and have the success and they turn around and they're hugging and smiling. It doesn't have to be a goal. It could just be something we're trying to work on in practice and then it happens and they look at me and the lights are on and I'm like, like, I get really excited by that. Does that sound, is that a nerdy answer? No. You like it? <laughs>
1: yeah, it does feel good, right? When, Especially when it's something that you were having trouble with and you really work on it yeah. and you guys yeah. all get it together. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: It's so cool. It's like magic, you know? I love it.
1: Awesome. So our last two questions. Uh, what do you envision for the future of girls' soccer and the opportunities it can provide for young players?
0: Well, I hope, I really, really hope that um, that they get as many or more opportunities than any boy or men men do. Um, we're moving in the right direction. The pay is getting much better. The national team now gets equal pay, which is fantastic. Um, but I would love more and more of endorsements and stadiums being built for women's soccer or sharing the men's ones that are soccer specific, whatever it takes to get the female game up to the same status and it's growing in Europe, which I think is awesome, you know, and in Spain and now these European countries that were behind are buying in. I don't see it as we're not falling behind. The rest of the world is just buying into the development of female players. And I think it's great. Um, was I happy about this past world cup? No, I didn't think our style play. I didn't think there were things wrong. We knew it. We just, who knows? We're not on the coaching staff and we don't see it, but, um, we didn't get; they didn't get it right, and that's what it is. What it is, you know?
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting World Cup. I would yeah. say we we had three teams to cheer for because we're yeah. um, we're from the U.S. and we're also German citizens, and we also lived in Switzerland yeah, for a long all, time. And they
2: all went out. <laughs> yeah, didn't, uh, Switzerland got in the uh, the first round. Want to hear?
0: Get- f- Want hear a fun fact about Switzerland? Yeah. yeah. The starting left back and center back, her you know her name was Noel Maritz. Mm-hmm. She played at the PDA from U eight to U thirteen.
2: Oh, Religion.
1: that's really cool. Her
0: father, yeah, her father, Maron. I think his father's. I think his father's name was Maron. She played on a team called the PDA Celtic. Um, Noel's got to be in her late twenties now, twenty eight. She's twenty eight because I just the dad that I bumped into yesterday played with Noel actually, and Noel was she played here. She was this little, um, and now she plays for the Arsenal ladies team. And she was a PDA kid. She was a heck of a player, but she wasn't. And this is the thing. She wasn't in a very good team. She was probably the eighth, ninth, seventh best player on the team from U8 to U13. Moved to Switzerland. And the father just said that she just kept getting better. Just kept working hard. Just kept loving the game. She was always like psychotically competitive and she was a great kid. And you know what? She's a big time professional player now plays in a World Cup and she's, she was just a good player. And that's why part of the development process is patience.
1: Yes, patience. So important. Yeah, being patient. Yep. Not a
0: lot
2: of kids have patience.
1: Not a lot of kids have patience. But the adults we have to we have to be patient.
0: Or coaches sometimes. Sometimes coaches just bring in some big kid because they're a big kicker and they want to just win on that day. And then five years later, they they're not so good anymore. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, That's what my team does. Like um, our coach says, "Is it the." Like, doesn't really – like, if we lose, it's not the biggest deal. He's teaching us how – What will help us in the next, like, five, ten years.
0: That's excellent. Sounds like a yeah. good coach.
2: You guys are a small, small team. We're small. And we're building out of the back and just, like, dribbling in the back and stuff.
0: Yep. Nice. Just figuring – Yeah, Yeah.
1: Because my team used to win state championships all the time. Cause but we team, were just
2: big. Your team was ginormous. <laughs> You're, like – the I only was a small
1: person. I was small, but everybody else was really big, and that's it's why like we won. Five, foot. but <laughs> we fell apart eventually. You know, u 14, fourteen, we uh, we we started dropping like flies. So I ended Real. up playing for a different team. But yeah, we were big and we were fast, and uh, came from a town that had a lot of women's soccer and girls' soccer, and that back in the back in the ninety eighties, nineties that worked. But nowadays, it's yeah, more pretty play.
0: Hey, Want to hear another good story? Yes. So I was interviewed a lot this summer because a player that I coached and brought to the PDA played in the World Cup also, but she didn't play for the U.S. She played for South Korea. Did you see that story in the news at all?
2: I feel like I saw it.
1: Yeah, I I saw it.
2: But you show me the news. I think I saw it on Instagram. Every time you're on Instagram, you're like, "Don't look! Don't look! Don't look!" (laughs) So,
0: so there was this girl, Casey Fair. And uh, my team, I went. I took my team. I had the O sevens. I've since given them to Mike O'Neill, actually. But I, I had the O sevens, and we went down to this tournament called the Jeff Cup, and we played this team from Tennessee, and we beat them six to two. But there was this fast forward up top that really good in the ball, and every time she got the ball, she was a handful. She scored two goals against us. It was like almost I felt like us against this one kid. So I said, "Where is this kid from?" "Oh my like, goodness, Tennessee." And he goes, "Well, they just moved here from Massachusetts." Um, it, the dad's job related kind of thing. And I said, oh, okay. So two weeks later, the dad emailed me and said, my daughter has never seen a team like your team. She, she loves this team, the PDA. She knows about the history of the PDA. Can we, are you interested? And I said, yeah, but you live in Tennessee. And he goes, I work remotely so we can move to New Jersey. So I said, uh, okay. (laughs) She come, they come to New Jersey. And she comes in and instantly I'm like, wow, the kid had was quick, had electric feet, um, fast. You know, she and she was like a forward. She was a forward. And so by U 14, of course, the US soccer, two years later, they were like very interested. She went to the training centers. And at U 15, she went to a camp. You know, she went to the U fifteen national camp. And they liked her, um, but they wanted to keep an eye on her. And then she went to another camp at U 15 and they liked her, but then they didn't pick her for some tournament at the end of the season she didn't make the 24 person roster so she was really upset and i'm thinking wow how how many other forwards in this age group that i've seen that i think are better than her and i couldn't think of many you know so the her mom was born in korea and so she she actually casey was actually born in korea but a month old moved to the united states so then she had dual citizenship and the dad said hey do you think it's re- worth reaching out because you know i don't know if she's going to get another chance and it's her dream to play in like a world cup or for a country. And I said, look, a lot of players with dual citizenship are doing that. So they reached out to the Korean federation and they were interested. They flew her out and she went from U 15, the editor to the U 17 Korean team. And she played there for a year. And then two months before the start of the world cup, she was training with us. She plays for our O sevens, you know, she's training, training. And they called her in Colin bell. The head coach says, I don't, I think she's, ready for that next level, like the World Cup. So they brought her into camp. She made the roster. And then she started in a third game against Germany. And she played 82 minutes. And she hit the crossbar and the post. (laughs)
1: Okay, yes. That's why I remember. I I saw on Instagram. And I also saw the game. Yep.
0: She was the youngest player to play in the history of the World Cup.
1: Okay, yes. We know who she is. (laughs) You yeah, yeah, no, know.
2: Yeah. You kept on telling me about her. Yeah. And she yeah, kept on so, popping and, up on the screen while we were watching the game. Yeah.
0: So she – and the first thing she came back and uh she came back and she's very much a 16-year-old kid. She, like at the time, she was like 16 years old in a few days in the time mm-hmm. of the World Cup. And I was texting her the whole time, even during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And then she came back and she goes, hey, I'd like to come. What are you, what are you doing? I go, well, I'm training my U13 and U14s. And she knew them a little bit. So she came in. What does she do? Like big star. She comes like three days off the plane, starting the world cup. And she's running around the PDA training with the youth 13 girls.
1: Oh, that's so great. And,
0: and they were asking her questions. They're like, where are the, where's your uniform? And where's your cleats? You Get to keep them. And she was like, no, they actually, I walked off the field and they took my cleats, my socks, my short, my uniform, my jacket. And it's in the FIFA museum now. I don't even have it.
1: Oh, in Zurich. We've been to that. It's really <laughs> yeah. cool.
2: Yeah. Mom, wow. is it that place that like where like when, the FIFA Museum. Yeah, it's yeah. so fun. When I, awesome. when I first went there, I would like rush through just to just go to the games at the end. But then I started like you. Yeah,
1: we got to read a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, That's I
2: awesome. remember one picture I took uh, with, there's Alex Morgan. I copied her pose. Yeah. It was on Matthew's birthday. <laughs> yeah.
0: T one? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And you get to see the trophies and everything. Awesome. Really, yeah, well now, really awesome.
0: Casey's, Casey's uniform and cleats are there now, too, as the youngest oh. player ever in a World Cup. That's so, so cool. There's...
1: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. One final question, and then we'll get let you go and rest before the week starts. Can you, you offer some words of inspiration and encouragement or just advice for young girl soccer players who have big soccer dreams?
0: Don't be ashamed to be as competitive as you want to be just because you're a girl. You can do anything. And don't let anyone tell you you can't. And whenever you're doing it, know that hard work is great and hard work isn't fun. And if you're not having fun, if it's not fun, something's something's wrong. Find a team or a coach that makes it fun for you.
1: Okay. I love that. That's great. Good advice, you think? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. We really appreciate so having
0: you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on.
1: And good luck with your season.
0: Thanks. You too. <laughs> I'm going to be following uh, 2012 uh, Racing... What, no, is it, what is it? 2012 Race. Racing Purple. Racing Purple.
1: All right. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, if you like what you heard, please follow us, which you can do by visiting SheDreamsAndGoals.com, follow us on Instagram at SheDreamsAndGoals, and most importantly, share our podcast with family, friends, and teammates. And until next time, keep playing and keep dreaming. This podcast was prepared by duly authorized members of She Dreams and Goals LLC. She Dreams and Goals LLC does not accept liability for any opinions or information of any kind expressed by its guests and hereby makes clear that those opinions do not represent the opinions and or recommendations of She Dreams and Goals LLC or its members. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any form of professional advice. Listeners of this podcast should conduct their own extensive research before making any decisions in connection with topics discussed in this podcast. She Dreams and Goals LLC is committed to providing content that is safe and appropriate for all ages. However, legal guardians are ultimately responsible for supervising access by any minor under their care to content produced by She Dreams and Goals LLC. She Dreams and Goals LLC does not make any warranty or representation as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. To the fullest extent permitted by law, She Dreams and Goals LLC shall not incur any liability in connection with this podcast. This podcast may not be copied, published, reproduced, or redistributed in whole or part without the written permission of a duly authorized member of She Dreams and Goals LLC. For further information, please visit www.shedreamsandgoals.com.